0: Thank you. It's really lovely to be uh, here with you this evening. So um, I wonder, when was the last time that you prayed? Prior to this service, of course, I realise we've already done it a few times uh, over these last minutes. Maybe it was on your way here tonight when you were stuck in traffic or missed the train or couldn't find a parking space. Maybe it was sometime this last week as you struggled with a particular problem at work or at school or as you dealt with a tricky colleague or friend. Maybe it was a help kind of prayer, quickly fired off as you ran from one busy thing to another. Maybe it was a thank you prayer in gratitude for some good gift that you've received. Maybe it was this morning as you took some time before the day began just to sit with God. Maybe, actually, it wasn't today at all, or yesterday, or the day before that. Maybe you're having to rack your brains even now to think back to when the last time was that you prayed. I doubt, though, that you have never prayed. Whoever you are and whatever you'd say that you believe about God... I'd be really surprised if you'd never prayed in your whole life, not even once. Many of us will have grown up praying in some way, whether being taught by parents or grandparents to kneel before our bed at night, saying the Lord's Prayer in Sunday school, or closing our eyes and putting our hands together in school assemblies. And many of us will have prayed, even though at the time we might have said that we didn't believe in God. We'll have prayed because we were waiting for test results or because someone very dear to us was in difficulty or because something wonderful had happened and we just needed to say thank you or because something scary and hard was going on or because there was something we were yearning and longing for. We may have prayed on our own or with others in silence, in long conversations, in whispered longings, perhaps sometimes in screams of fury. We'll have had times when our prayers have been answered. The thing we wanted or needed or hoped for or feared will have happened or not happened or turned out okay or whatever it was. And we'll have had times when things haven't turned out as we hoped. Not necessarily that our prayer wasn't answered as such, but that it didn't go the way we wanted it to go. And there will have been times too, I'm sure, for all of us, where we'll have felt like we're talking to ourselves, shouting into a vacuum, wondering if anyone was out there even paying attention at all. Have you ever seen the film Bruce Almighty? Of course you have, it's a classic. If you've seen it, you'll remember that God hands over his job to Bruce to see how he gets on after Bruce has complained that he's not sure God is doing the best job. And suddenly Bruce begins to hear this incredible noise and chaos in his head and he asks God what it is. God, Morgan Freeman, tells him those sounds are prayers. He needs to listen and he needs to help people. Bruce says, okay, he thinks maybe he's ready to help the world. It turns out, though, that that mass of constant, never-ending noise in his head isn't the prayers of the whole world, or even the whole country, but just a few streets in his hometown. Turns out there's a whole lot of prayer going on. He realises he's going to need a system. He decides he'll file them, and his whole house fills with filing cabinets. He then opts instead for post-it notes and every surface, including him and the dog, are covered with yellow sticky notes. He has one more try and he puts them all into email files. Of course, straight away there are over 1.5 million emails and it's at that point that he decides to press yes to all and things start to get really complicated. (laughs) But here's my question for us this evening based on that reading that we heard a few moments ago. What does it look like to pray without ceasing? What did Paul even mean when he wrote those words to the Thessalonians? Pray without ceasing. Oh yeah, thanks Paul, you might think. I'll make sure I get onto that. Alongside my day job and cleaning the house and putting petrol in the car and doing the school run and going to the gym and, and, and. I mean, really? Who's got time to pray without ceasing? I barely have time to hoover. And I guess I need to say right at the start that I am very far indeed from being an expert on this. Sometimes it seems like the only people who get asked to do talks on prayer get up at 4am and pray for five hours before starting work. Whereas I press the snooze button 11 times. And the only praying I do before 7am is praying that I won't have to get out of bed. So I'm in no way an expert on prayer i really properly love jesus and when you love someone you want to hang out with them waste time with them tell them everything that's happened during your day laugh about the funny stuff cry about the sad stuff ask for their help with the hard stuff certainly what i do with my best friends and it's what i aim to do with jesus too F.B. Mayer has said this, the greatest tragedy in life is not unanswered prayer, but unoffered prayer. Unoffered prayer, a prayer which we never speak or think or share, is a tragedy, a missed opportunity to connect with Jesus. And as he is always our model and our guide, I just want to give us a few suggestions as to what praying without ceasing might look like Jesus style So I've got a, a few pairs, a few opposites, giving us some insight into how, when, where and for what Jesus prayed. So firstly, Jesus prayed alone and he prayed with others. Luke 5:16 tells us that Jesus often withdrew to lonely places and prayed. How often do you withdraw? I know for me, I'm so often carried along by the waves of activity and busyness that can easily fill every waking moment. I'm an off-the-scale extrovert who, to relax after spending time with lots of people, likes to spend time with lots of people. (laughs) But nonetheless, following the model of Jesus, I need to withdraw. I need from time to time to be somewhere by myself, away from the chaos, and just be with the Lord. I need to allow myself to sit with silence and stillness because then there's a bit more room for him to speak. Luke 9.28 tells us Jesus took Peter and John and James with him and went up onto a mountain to pray. Just as withdrawing is vital, so is corporate prayer. One or other of these may be more natural or more comfortable to you, but both are important. When we pray with others, we are assured that where two or three or two or three hundred are gathered, Jesus is there with us. Praying with others enables us to stand alongside each other, to support, encourage and bless. It enables us to weep when weeping is required and to rejoice when rejoicing is required. In the presence of others who can bear our burdens and share our joys. I wonder whether you have a regular pattern of meeting with others to pray. And by that, I don't just mean church. Do you have a small group or a prayer triplet or a Bible study group or any form of any type of gathering, whatever you call it, where you can be alongside brothers and sisters and pray together? If not, might it be something you think about? Secondly, as we look at the example of Jesus, we see that he prayed in the morning and he prayed at night. Mark 1.35 tells us that very early in the morning, while it was still dark, Jesus got up, left the house, and went off to a solitary place where he prayed. Now, like I said earlier, the concept of very early in the morning is a challenge for me. I can't, in all truthfulness, stand here and tell you that praying very early in the morning is a regular part of my day. But regardless of what early might mean in your world... What we learn from Jesus here is that prayer should be the first thing that we think of when we wake up. My friend Dave has a slogan, no Bible, no breakfast. He's determined that Jesus should be first in his day. That's a challenge to me because I'm not generally fully conscious until around 9.30am. But still I have learnt over time that my day will go much better if the first thing I do is to offer it to God. I offer him myself afresh every day. I offer him all that I'll do that day. The people I'll meet, the conversations I'll have, the problems I'll tackle. I ask for his guidance, his grace, his love. It sets my day off on the right footing. Recenters me. It reminds me of who I am and whose I am. In Luke 6, verse 12, we read that one of those days, Jesus went out to a mountainside to pray and spent the night praying to God. Now, here I'm on firmer ground. (laughs) I am 0% lark and 100% owl. In the evening, I am awake and alert. (laughs) I realize that may not be the case for you. I've accidentally acquired a cohort of close friends who all begin to droop by 10 pm, whereas I'm just getting going. But again, whatever our personal body clock preferences, ending the day with the Lord is just as good practice as starting the day with Him. Sometimes before bed, I'll say Compline. Sometimes I'll write in my journal. Other times, I'll just lie in bed and review the day that has passed what went well, what didn't. What do I need to confess? What is there to give thanks for? We see in Jesus the practice of bookending each day in prayer. Thirdly, Jesus prayed for others and he prayed for himself. In Luke twenty-two, thirty-two, Jesus said, I have prayed for you, Simon, that your faith may not fail. This, remember, is in the context of the Last Supper when Jesus knows that very hard times lie ahead. Not just for him, but for all of the disciples. Peter, ever enthusiastic, is sure that he's got it covered, that he will stay by Jesus' side no matter what. But Jesus, sadly, knows better. He knows that Peter's darkest moment is about to come. And in this intimate conversation, he tells his dear friend that he has prayed for him, for strength and courage and faith. What an extraordinary gift of grace it is to have someone tell us that they will pray for us. To know that they've promised to remember us before God, to hold us up to the light of the Lord. And what an extraordinary gift of grace it is too when we can make that offer and hold up another person in prayer, a friend, a loved one, a stranger. Just a few verses on, Jesus turns his prayer towards his own needs, saying, Father, if you are willing, take this cup from me. Yet not my will, but yours be done. It's an extraordinarily honest and real prayer. Jesus is in anguish, knowing all that lies ahead of him. And in this moment, he asks God, his father, whether there isn't perhaps some other way. And yet even in that moment, he pledges to do his Father's will, whatever it may be. There's such encouragement here for us in our own prayer life. I've had many conversations with people, often beginning when they have asked me to pray for them, when it has ultimately transpired that they never or rarely pray for themselves, even though they may pray for others. And there are two main reasons for this, as far as I can see. One is that perhaps it seems a bit selfish, a bit indulgent to pray for ourselves. But of course our loving Father would want to know our cares, our worries, our concerns. Of course he would want to be there in our time of need. The other is that perhaps it seems pointless. God knows everything anyway, even before we ask. Well, yes, he does. But that doesn't mean he doesn't want us To tell him ourselves. It's about the relationship, not just the request. Philip Yancey puts it this way, The real value of persistent prayer is not so much that we get what we want, as that we become the person we should. Fourthly, Jesus prayed in bad times and in good times. Perhaps the most extraordinary example we have of Jesus praying is on the cross. The darkest moment of all history. The hardest moment of Jesus' life. An experience of unimaginable horror and pain and anguish. And through it all, Jesus prays. He prays for the people responsible for his suffering. prays for himself. He prays for the people he'll leave behind. His natural response at this time of utter devastation is to cry out to his Father. To seek his comfort and his care. Praying in bad times is perhaps the most common prayer of all. Even atheists pray when the engine fails on the aeroplane. For all of us, I guess, in those moments of darkness and despair, whether it's sickness or sorrow or grief, when a relationship has broken down, when there's no money left, when we're staring danger in the face, basically, when we have reached the end of our own abilities and resources. We cry out in prayer to God. Maybe that prayer consists of just one word, help. And those desperate one-word prayers are heard no less for their urgency and their brevity. In those moments of great need, God will always be there, always listening, always loving. In Luke 10, 72 disciples have just returned, having been sent out in pairs to be workers in the Lord's harvest field. They come back telling stories of the incredible things that they have seen and experienced. Luke tells us, at that time, Jesus, full of joy through the Holy Spirit, said, I praise you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth. This was a moment of joy, of celebration, of praise. Jesus' first response was to pray a prayer of gratitude to the Father for his faithfulness and his goodness. It's so easy, isn't it, to let prayer slip away from us when life's going well? In the bad times, as we've seen, prayer comes more easily because we've got nowhere else to turn. But in the good times, it's easier perhaps to fool ourselves that we deserve these good things, that we've earned them, that they'll last forever. That we can manage on our own. But in these times of blessing, just as much as in the times of trial, we should follow Jesus' example and bring our prayers to God. So, what is happening when we pray? Well, Rachel Oral says this about prayer our prayers of faith are not instructions to a well-trained God, insisting that he must perform the miracle I need. Our prayers of faith are to a good and loving parent who always wants the best for me and has told me that I must never be afraid, no matter how angry or confused or distressed I may be. I come to him because he is the source of all goodness. And if he rescues me from the fire, so be it. If he asks me to walk through it, so be it. Either way, he will be with me, strengthening me, holding me, comforting me, bringing light into the darkness. So Paul invites us via his letter to the church in Thessalonica to pray without ceasing. Like Jesus, we are called to pray alone and with others in the morning and at night, For other people, for ourselves, in bad times and in good times. And when we do pray, well, what then? In prayer, quite simply, we meet the Lord. We tell him what's on our hearts and we receive his love. Richard Foster puts it this way, prayer is where the heart finds its home. The Thy Kingdom Come movement started by the archbishops has been a wonderful catalyst to encourage all Christians to pray faithfully and intentionally. Your diocesan prayer community is also a wonderful way to commit faithfully to pray together as a diocese. Later on in our uh, passage to the Thessalonians, we read this wonderful reminder, the one who calls you is faithful. And he will do it. I have those words written on the wall in my study. It's something I need to remind myself of every day. What could the world look like, I wonder, if we all truly did pray without ceasing? There'd be more love, more mercy, more grace, more forgiveness, more healing, more reconciliation, more unity, more justice, more miracles more welcome, more peace, more comfort, more passion, more hope. John Ortberg has said that in prayer, in the presence of God, we come closest to being fully ourselves. So may we, this Pentecost and every day, pray thy kingdom come and pray it without ceasing. Amen.